thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to The Healthy Exception with your host, Rachel Favilla. Hello, lovely ones, and welcome back to The Healthy Exception, the podcast for teenagers choosing to be the healthy exception to the unhealthy rule. I'm your host, Rachel Favilla, and thank you so much for trusting me with your time and your ears today and for tuning in. Welcome back, guys. This is the first podcast for 2018, um, which is quite exciting. So it's good to be back. Um, I'm going to just put this out here right now um, before we get on with the rest of the show. I know I said at the like at the end of last well not the end of last year halfway through the year when I finished the podcast I was like oh I just need a break and you know I'll come back but I've still got so much I want to do and um, you know yada 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 but I really want to keep the podcast going I just need a break all that sort of stuff and I've had the break and I've definitely yep still you know I've got some great content lined up for you and there's definitely still messages I I want to put out there. Um, but I really enjoyed the break and I realized that I don't see this podcast being my thing, this a thing that I keep doing forever. Um, I just don't have the same excitement and passion around it that I did when I started. Um, that doesn't mean that I'm not going to keep putting effort in for you guys and that I'm not going to have some fun with you and all of that. I don't mean it like that. And it's not any disrespect to you beautiful listeners that I just love engaging with every week. It's just that I'm in the process of writing a few books at the moment. It's my final year of uni now. Um, yeah, I'm. me and my friend Emma are sort of wanting to experiment maybe with some YouTube videos. I'm loving doing live videos on my Facebook feed. And I just, um, you know, keeping a podcast up is expensive. I mean, I know it shouldn't always be about money, but it is. And for something that I'm just like, it's just not lighting me up the way it used to. Um, I'm just not sure how long it'll keep going, but it is definitely things that we're going to be talking about in coming weeks. So we've got an interview with Dr. Andrea Huddleston about the oral contraceptive pill and just um, hormone replacement in general, which I think is such an important message. And I couldn't finish the healthy exception without putting that one out there. Um, Dr. Ellie, sorry, not Dr. Ellie, just Ellie McLean. I wanted to call her doctor for a second. Um, probably deserves that title, but she's not technically a doctor, but she's very smart. Um, a nutritionist. And we, we, we're talking in another episode about vegetarian, vegan diets and how to do them healthfully so that you're not, um, running a risk of developing nutritional deficiencies or mental illness or anything like that. Um, and we've got another one lined up with Kim Morrison, who is like skincare aromatherapist extraordinaire, um, are just about all the chemicals lur- lurking in our everyday personal care products and how we can use more natural, ethical, organic sort of products to minimize our chemical exposure. Because as you guys would remember from all the past episodes, we always talk about chemicals in the gut and, you know, how that influences our health and our hormones and all that good stuff. So um, we'll definitely be talking about that. And there are three episodes that are definitely coming up as along with today's. And then I'm just going to see where life takes me. Um, I might keep going then for several more episodes. I might call it quits there and then. Um, but I just want you to know that I love each and every one of you for listening in um, and that I'm not going anywhere. Like I'm still going to be very active on my social media um, so on Facebook, I'm in the process of writing books, so they'll be coming out eventually. I'm not putting any timeframes on them, but they will be coming to you at some point. Um, and definitely, I'll still be very active on the blog, um, probably more so because I won't be spending time um, podcasting. So 
Uh, yeah, please don't feel like even if this show ends that I'm leaving you in the lurch or that you won't ever hear from me again. Totally will. You just need to follow me on Facebook. So I'll just the real suit for the Real Soul Facebook page. Um, you know, read my blog, pop in every so often, um, and I'll still definitely around the place. So just wanted to say that. Um, but for now, I'm happy to be back and let's just focus on the present and dive into the, to today's topic. So first episode back, I'm treating myself to my favorite topic. And so hopefully it's yours too. Um, we're going to do a bit of a biology lesson talking about what else? The gut. Um, because, you know, every, pretty much every other episode that has the healthy exception has been on mentions the gut in some way, shape or form. Um, episodes six and seven were completely about the gut. They were like our nerdy gut 101 episodes. Um, but since then I've learned so much more about the gut and I've become a lot more confident speaking about it and explaining things. And there's just little bits and bobs that I want to correct and that I um, want to update. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool if, you know, yeah, we've talked, we've talked about the gut and digestion and yada, yada, but wouldn't it be cool if we sort of went step by step, what happens once food from, you know, the time that food goes into the mouth to the time it goes out the other end. You know, I love saying that the gut covers the pie hole to the a-hole, which is this, it's just this long tube with a whole lot of different sections um, that have different actions. So let's start in the mouth, end in the anus, and then talk about some of the um, accessory organs that also assist digestion. And then along the way, we can talk about um, certain things we can do in these areas, certain um, you know actions we can perform, certain um, lifestyle dietary tweaks we can make to support each of these um, systems, things to be aware of. So I thought it's just a good recap. You'll probably be hearing some things you already know, either from past episodes of The Healthy Exception or other podcasts that you listen to or books you've read or whatever, just your general knowledge on gut health. And then there might be some things that you're hearing for the first time and you're like, oh, that's a cool fun fact to store away for a rainy day. So without further ado, let's just dive right into the gut. Because I think that, you know, I was just thinking, I'm sorry, I'll say this and then I'll dive into the gut, um, that, you know, like at school, I think it's so great now that, you know, from quite a young age, we're learning about the reproductive system. So, you know, we generally have our, the, the co-ed classes, just learning generalized things up until about grade five. And then we split off into oh, just girls and just boys. And we learn about our own separate systems because we are a little bit different. Um, and so that's fantastic because, you know, back in the day, our, like our grandparents wouldn't have learned about this stuff at school. And it was quite scary, particularly for girls when, you know, they didn't even know what a first period was. And all of a sudden one day, you know, maybe they'd be 12, 11, something like that. And they just start bleeding from their vagina one day and be like, am I dying? I, and they wouldn't know what it was. And they might go home and tell their mum, and their mum would probably just give them a pad or a tampon or something. And or back then I, would, I suppose probably more like a rag and just be like, yeah, okay. Like this is just, you're a woman. This is the thing, but we don't really talk about it. It's a bit taboo. And now it's so open and we, you know, girls know from a very young age that event, you know, they're going to go through puberty, they're going to have their first menses and it's also so that one day they can have children and, you know, yada, yada. It's all very out in the open. Um, and so that's very empowering. But I thought, you know what, I really think that if we're going to learn about the reproductive system, which is a very important body system, but it's not necessarily essential to survival, like whether, I mean, it's like, it's definitely very important that we can reproduce and there's a whole lot of hormones involved in bone density and whatnot that are important as well. But um, you know, if you went for a period of your life where for whatever reason you became a little bit infertile, then it's not going to kill you. 
Whereas the digestive system, if that stops working even for a little bit, that can kill you or you can get very, very sick from it. So I sort of thought if we're learning about the reproductive system, we should really be very empowered to know exactly how our digestive system is working. So let's use the scenario of my one of my favorite meals at the moment, um, sweet potato baked sweet potato dipped in nut butter or seed butter or a combination of nut and seed butter um, because I like to mix it up. Um, So let's start with, okay, the sweet potatoes in the oven. And I'm really, you know, I'm a bit hungry, a bit peckish, and I can smell the beautiful, sweet, roasty flavor of, you know, it's baking and it's like, "Mm." and so I start to salivate and my tummy starts to gurgle a little bit and, um, digestive enzymes and stomach acids start to, you know, wake up a little bit and go, oh, beauty, there's going to be food soon. I can smell it, get keen. So, you know, there's this whole party going on in my body and that's just from me smelling and anticipating the food. Um, I'll start salivating. Did I say I'll start salivating? If I didn't, I will start salivating and there's enzymes in my saliva as well that are getting ready to work on the beautiful starches in the sweet potato. So, you know, maybe then then the oven goes off and I pull them out and I wait patiently for the sweet potatoes to cool down and then I dive right in. So I take my first mouthful and I'm chewing away and I like to chew my food really well. A good rule of thumb is about 20 chews per mouthful. Um, If something's a bit chewier, you probably want to do more. If it's really soft, you might get away with less, but 20 as a rule is a good place to start, especially if you're not used to chewing your food properly. So um, yes, I start chewing my food and just the act of chewing of what we would call masticating, not to be confused with masturbating, just putting it out there, masticating. Um, So chewing, that stimulates more um, digestive enzymes in the mouth. So we call that salivary amylase. And amylase is an enzyme. So anything that ends with ACE generally um, is is an enzyme, A-S-E, ACE. Um, So amylase starts to break down carbohydrates and starches in the mouth. Um, not a lot, like fats and proteins don't really get worked on too much in the mouth. It's mainly just carbohydrates, fats and proteins and more start to get worked on further down. So I'm chewing, I've taken my 20 or 30 so chews. And so now I've got like this little bolus of food and so I swallow. So it's just traveling down the pipe. So down through my esophagus and then it reaches my stomach. Now from here, um, there's not a lot that happens to carbohydrates in the stomach. Um, that's The stomach's very acidic, so that acts a lot more on protein. So in our stomach, we've got uh, an acid made of uh, made, made mainly from chloride called hydrochloric acid, um, and we've got the digestive enzyme pepsin. And these work to break down our protein. So like I said, with my sweet potato, I'm having some natural seed butter, very rich in protein. So with protein, if you think of it as a babushka doll, so, you, you know, with babushka dolls, you've got the layer. So you've got the big layer and then you, you've got another layer inside the layer. You take that out and there's another doll inside that doll and you keep... So that's to like your protein. You've got your protein is when the babushka doll is completely made up. And you take off the layer and you've got your peptides. So proteins are made up of peptides joined together by peptide bonds. And the peptides are made up of amino acids. So what you start off with is your protein. And then what has to happen is the peptide bonds that hold the peptides to make the protein up have to be cleaved and then you have all these individual peptides and then from the individual peptides each of the amino acid sequences that make up these peptides have to be broken down into individual amino acids so it's quite a process and that process generally begins in the acidic environment of the stomach 
um, and the hydrochloric acid and pepsin really help to um, move, move that process along, start to break down the protein. Then from there, um, the stomach empties into the small intestine. And this is where oh, probably I'd say the majority of the digestion really um, goes on. So in the small intestine, that's where everything starts to unfold. So we've got you know partially digested carbohydrates, we've got partially digested proteins, um, but it's in the small intestine that fats start to get digested. So because our body is mostly water, you know, I think we're about 70, 80% water or something. We're like this big ocean, really, very um, watery and salty. Um, and as you'd know, probably if you've ever, um, you know, even just washed the dishes and there hasn't been enough detergent in there and little fat globules, I don't know, from the pan or something, maybe we're cooking something greasy and they sort of just sit on the top of the border. So that's a good indication that fats and waters don't mix. Fats are hydrophobic, so hydro meaning water, phobic meaning scared. They don't like mixing with water. Therefore, the fats that we eat don't really mix that well with our stomach juices because it's watery. So what we, our bodies are very clever though. And so what our livers do, and our livers are what we would call one of our digestive accessory organs. So they're not technically, um, it's not, they're not part of the long tube that goes from the mouth to the anus, the pie hole to the a-hole, um, but they def it definitely is an organ that has a role in digestion. It produces a substance called bile. And then, um, so it's always, the liver is constantly producing bile. And then we have a little sac underneath our liver called the gallbladder. And that's, that stores the bile. And so then when we eat fat, the bile squirts out, like, like sort of like tomato ketchup, just sort of squirts out a bit, squirts out a bit of bile. And this bile helps to emulsify, and emulsify means to mix, starts to mix the fats into the stomach acid and helps them to disperse evenly. So a good example of that is like they often put emulsifiers in chocolate bars because they're quite fatty and they need the fats to mix with all the other ingredients. Otherwise, you'd get all these separate bits of like there'd be some bits of cocoa some bits of sugar some bits of um, cocoa fat and it just wouldn't look all that appealing um, so that's what bile does so yeah that starts to then help us break down fat um, but there's more enzymes that come from the pancreas the pancreas is another accessory organ so that um, has produces pancreatic enzymes like pancreatic amylase which, um, so, you know, we talked about salivary amylase in the mouth. This one is saliva, uh, pancreatic amylase. So this just means um, this is how carbohydrates continue to get broken down in the stomach. Um, and proteins continue to get sort of cleaved. So most of that happens in the stomach, but um, the smaller amino acid chains start to break down in the gut as well. Um, all of our nutrients from our food. So we've just talked about the macronutrients, so our carbs, our proteins, and our fats. But in the small intestine, that's where our micronutrients are released from food. So, you know, micronutrients being our vitamins and our minerals, so our water-soluble vitamins, so our B-complex vitamins and vitamin C, and then our fat-soluble vitamins A, D, E, and K, plus all of our um, minerals, so, you know, things like sodium and potassium and magnesium and selenium and iodine and manganese and all of those. And so what then happens here is all of the um in a properly working digestive system, every single nutrient, whether it's a macronutrient or a micronutrient, is broken down into its smallest possible form um, so that there's, you know, they're not large proteins anymore, not large molecules, they're completely. So all the, um, the carbohydrates, they go from being starch, 
Um, so like long polysaccharide chains, so poly meaning many, saccharides meaning sugars, so many sugars joined together, um, to, you know, disaccharides that are two sugars joined together, di meaning two, saccharides again meaning sugar. Um, and then we sometimes will also ingest monosaccharides, so mono one, sugar, disaccharides, sorry, mono one, saccharides, sugar, so single sugars like glucose, fructose, and galactose. Um, actually, sorry, galactose would only ever be consumed if we were having dairy, which is lactose, which is a um, disaccharide. Sorry, this isn't the point of this isn't to go into the sugar. So we can do that on another episode or you can read my book, which has all that in there when it comes out. Um, but basically, um, no matter how big the, the sugar chain was, um, by the time it's completely digested, all of our carbohydrates are, are monosaccharides. They're either glucose, fructose or galactose. Um, all of our proteins are broken down into individual amino acids. Um, our fats are broken down into individual fatty acids. So everything's in its smallest form. And then from here, um, the nutrients can cro- will cross out um, across the intestines, in the border of the small intestine, and out into the bloodstream, where then the blood can deliver them in circulation to wherever they need to go. So you know. Some fats can go to the brain, we can get proteins go to the muscle, we can get sugars go to pretty much any cell to be used for energy, any extra sugar can go to the liver to be stored as glycogen. So, um, and you know, all our vitamins and minerals can also go wherever they need to go. You know, some vitamin C might go to the um, thyroid to help us make some hormones, or it might go to the adrenal glands to make us make, help us make some hormones. So it just depends. Um, anything else that's left over. So basically from there, once all our nutrients have gone their separate ways to wherever they need to go, we're left obviously with the, the mass of, of fiber. Um, so we've got our soluble fiber, which is broken down. And then we've got our insoluble fiber and our resistant starches that resist digestion. So what happens with those is that then they get emptied from the small intestine into the large intestine, um, which is sort of, I always used to think the large intestine should be first, like big to small, but it's actually the small intestine, which looks uh, a lot bigger um, when you see a picture of the inside of human body. Um, but anyway, it um, goes into the large intestine. And um, from here, this is where, so um, your the bacteria in your large intestine, so in your colon, is going to start to ferment some of the indigestible fibers. And this fiber acts as fuel for them, and they then produce substances that benefit us, such, such as short-chain fatty acids, Um, and also then, you know, provided we're hydrated and whatnot, this fiber will will sort of goes to become the stool. So the soluble fiber softens the stool, the insoluble fiber makes the stool a bit harder and bulkier, Um, water sort of makes it smooth and soft, and on the way, it'll pick up toxins that have come from the liver, it'll pick up heaps of dead skin cells because the cell lining of our gut is constantly turning over, so all the dead skin cells will go into the stool as well. Um, Dead bacteria or like old bacteria because we're constantly making new um, microbes, so dead bits of bacteria will also make up the stool. So then we've got this nice, ideally, long, healthy, sausage-shaped poo, um, which is sort of the same shape as our intestines. So, you know, if you think about our our digestive system being a tube, it makes sense that we get like a long, sausagey, tubey sort of poo that comes out the anus. So that's ideally what happens. Um, our nutrients go to where they need to go. 
and then all the other fiber and then anything else it picks up along the way, the bacteria, the um, the cell, the skin, you know, the skin cells from our gut lining and any toxins from the liver that haven't been excreted through urine or sweat or breathing, um, they will also come out the stool, which is why when we take a really satisfying dump, we feel so amazing because we've just gotten rid of a whole lot of waste. Um, it's also just a little fun fact when we do a particularly, um, impressive hashtag gratitude journal moment evacuation it stimulates the vagus nerve which is the nerve that connects the gut to the brain so we sort of get that little rush of excitement we also get a rush of endorphins which is again why we feel like after we retreat from the loo that we could conquer the world so yes um that is the process of digestion so um yeah it's quite it's quite involved when you think about, you know, the fact that we eat at least three times a day and this is constantly going on. And that was just, you know, I just gave you the example of one mouthful. Obviously, everything is heightened because you're taking mouthful after mouthful. So there's stimulation in the mouth going on all the time. And then the, the stomach is pumping out all these, you know, the pepsin and the hydrochloric acid and really breaking down the proteins. And then it goes into the small intestine and, you know, there's a lot of fiber. You know, that sweet potato nut butter meal you know, that had quite a bit of fiber in it. So that would, make, that would go to make quite a nice feast for our, the bacteria in our large intestine and then quite a satisfying dump. Probably one of the reasons I do love that combo so much. So um, let's talk a little bit more about gut bacteria um, because it is very, very important. So, um, you know, we've talked about this before, but I just want to reiterate that we are outnumbered by bacterial cells. So our entire body, um, we are outnumbered. So for every, about every, they, they're not quite sure. Like some people will go, it's for every one human cell we have, it's 10 bacterial cells. Some, I've heard some researchers say, oh, the number's changing now. Now we think it might be more, more like 13 or 14. But basically, for, let's just go with 10 because that's the most widely used number. Um, for every one human cell we have, we have 10 bacterial cells to that one. And so we're sort of a 10 to 1 ratio of bacteria to human DNA, which is really astounding. And a lot of this bacteria is contained in the gut. And most of this is pretty friendly bacteria that benefits us. So um, let's just go through, I know we've talked about it before, but some of the things that these, these the gut bacteria does, because the more we talk about this and understand how well it works for us, the more we can really appreciate how important it is that we take care of it. So um, our gut bacteria can talk to the brain cells. So uh, we just talked about the vagus nerve um, that sort of connects the brain and the gut. So the, the neurons in the brain and the, cell, the bacteria in the gut, they can actually talk to each other and communicate. So if one's not happy, the other one can be a bit on a, on a downer. If one's going really well, the other one's probably going to be going quite well as well. Um, it's quite interesting that sometimes, you know, you can start off with digestive problems and end up with depression, or you can start off with depression and end up with digestive problems. So there's just that link there. Um, sometimes people go on treatments for, for IBS and, and all of a sudden it has this antidepressant-like action. Sometimes people go on antidepressants and their gut symptoms clear up. So it's very interesting. There's this definitive link there. There's this bi-directional communication. Um, gut-associated lymphoid tissue, so that um, refers to part of our immune system that is in the gut, and it's about 70% of the entire immune system is actually located along our gastrointestinal tract. Our intestines are actually studded with this gut-associated lymphoid tissue. 
Um, so that's really interesting, which is why a lot of the time, if your gut's not happy, you're at a much bigger risk of getting infection. Um, you know, that's why often if, you know, um, you go and get, for example, you know, you go overseas, you're already probably from just from the, the time difference, the travel, the different food, your immune system's probably down anyway. So your gut health's probably down anyway. And then you end up with a parasitic infection. So there's sort of, that makes a lot of sense as well. Or you might find if, you haven't been, you know, people go, oh, I haven't been eating properly and then they get sick. It's often because if they haven't been eating properly, their gut's not too happy with them. Um, and on top of that, you know, they're probably just not having the nutrients that they need to fight infection in the first place. Um, the gut actually produces a lot of our hormones or it digests the nutrients that are precursors for hormone production. So even if it's other organs that are producing the hormones, without the gut, um, you know, digesting and metabolizing and absorbing the nutrients, um, we're not actually going to have what we need to make up our own hormones. Which brings me to something I say, I think nearly every episode, every single bodily process that goes down, uh, you know, is facilitated by nutrients, you know, everything from energy production to hormone production to the renewal of all cells, be it muscle cells or the cells lining our gut, um, neurotransmitter production, um, liver detoxification, filtering, you know, the kidneys doing their thing and filtering, the formation of our stools, urination, or, you know, then other things we want to do, like we want to go for a jog, we want to study, or we don't want to study, but we have to study, whatever it is, this all requires nutrients. And if we do not have nutrients, these things cannot happen, or at least they cannot happen as quickly as they need to for us to be in optimal health. So that is why, you know, I... That's like the gut is just so important because the gut is the master digester. Like that's where digestion occurs. The only way we get nutrients is from our food. If we're not get, you know, digesting them properly, we can have the most perfect diet in the world, but we're not going to be getting those nutrients. And then our energy production is going to slow down and we're going to get fatigue. Um, we're not going to be able to turn over cells as quickly. So our skin is going to look a little sad and sorry for itself. Um, our hormones are going to probably be up the creek as well because, you know, it's not some hormones aren't 100% essential for survival. They're like, it's for optimal health, they're certainly essential, but you're not going to die if your hormones aren't completely in balance all the time. So they can just go by the wayside as well if we're not nourished. Um, gut bacteria can produce vitamin K and vitamin B12. So again, it's very easy to become deficient in those nutrients if your gut's not working properly. Um, yeah, so basically, I think that's a good, you know, that's a good summary of the gut. Um, now let's talk about those accessory organs again, just to go into a little bit more detail about them. Um, so we talked a little bit about the liver and how it produces bile, um, but it also does heaps of other things. The main thing the liver is known for is that it's the master detoxifier of the body. So any sort of substance that is a bit funky that the body isn't quite sure about answers to the liver and the liver will take anything no matter how nasty or dangerous it is and it'll rejig it so that it's um, less harmful and then we can excrete it properly. Ideally we are trying to minimize our chemical exposure and we're eating good nourishing foods so our livers really don't have that much extra work to do but you know we go outside and, you know, I always use the example, we, get, we go outside and a car goes past and there's car fumes or we're at the train station and there's those fumes or someone next to us on the bus has really strong perfume. That's all stuff the liver has to deal with. So we are so lucky that um, we have livers and that they work for us and that they keep us healthy and free from any harm. 
Um, and again, just keeping in mind that for liver detoxification to happen, we need a whole abundance of different nutrients. And we also need the energy to detoxify, which and energy production takes a whole lot of nutrients as well. So you're just seeing here why, you know, it's not just trendy and, you know, cool to eat a healthy diet and, you know, just so that you can put a nice big colorful salad on your Instagram feed. It's just, it's just important because we don't have nutrients. Our body is going to shut down on us. Um, the liver also plays a role in vitamin D synthesis and vitamin D is a hormone vitamin that plays a role in heaps of things, particularly, you know, what, what we often hear about is calcium absorption, but it has a big major role in regulating immunity, regulating mental health. It's very important. You do not want to be deficient in vitamin D. Um, glycogen storage. So glycogen is our storage form of glucose. So um, when we eat a carbohydrate-rich meal, a lot of the glucose will go straight to our cells for energy. But if um, there's any left over, our liver can store it as glycogen so that then, you know, for example, overnight when we're fasting, we still have energy to do whatever we, else we need to do. If we want to get up and go for a run, not, you know, have breakfast straight away, we've got the energy to do that. Um, our muscle cells can also store glycogen, but liver is the main storage um form of glucose and of course bile synthesis and the liver does a whole lot of other things as well but this isn't a specific liver episode so those are the four things we're going to be talking about today. Um, we talked about the gallbladder and the main function of the gallbladder is that it stores bile so the liver is always producing bile but the gallbladder stores it which is good because if we didn't have a storage site for it we would just constantly have bile trickling into our small intestines and that would probably cause diarrhea, gastrointestinal upset, wouldn't be all that pleasant. Um, and yeah, the gallbladder is a, I think it's a underrated organ. I think, you know, a lot of the time if someone has problems, they have pain or gallstones or something like that, the gallbladder will just get taken out. Um, but I, I love the saying, I, I don't know who said it originally, I heard the wellness women say it. Uh, Dr. Andrea Huddleston and Dr. Ashley Bond, um, but they might have got it from somewhere else. But they say, you know, the body doesn't come with a zipper. So, yes, we can survive without our gallbladders, but they're not really meant to be removed. So, if you can keep your gallbladder and keep it nice and healthy, so, and I, you know, way of keeping it nice and healthy is just having basically a good diet should be a good insurance policy. Um, not having excessive amounts of fat, but also not having a low-fat diet that so that it never gets stimulated. Just having, you know, a diet rich in, you know, fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, good quality gluten-free whole grains if you tolerate them, um, you know, beans and legumes if you tolerate them. And then, you know, if you choose to include, you know, animal foods, you know, having them in, oh, I don't like using the word moderation because it's lost all its meaning, but, um, you know, not overdoing it, but having enough to meet your protein needs. That sort of thing, you know, herbs, spices, plenty of water, that's generally what the gallbladder likes. Not restricting fat, but not necessarily going so mental on it that the gallbladder is just having to overwork and overburden itself. Um, the pancreas, pancreas is a beautiful organ, very important. Um, and so we've already talked about it a bit. You know, we talked about pancreatic amylase. So the pancreas, um, one of its major jobs is producing enzymes that facilitate digestion it also, um, you've probably heard about the pancreas in reference to diabetes. So the pancreas um, spits out the hormones insulin and glucagon, insulin being our blood sugar lowering hormone and glucagon being our blood sugar raising hormone. So 
With insulin, um, when we have a meal that has carbohydrates in it, um, insulin will pump it, will get pumped out by the pancreas to um, draw the, the carbohydrates. So we talked about, you know, the carbohydrates once they're in their um, monosaccharide, so they're single sugar forms, they've been completely digested and they cross the, um, go across the intestinal barrier and they're in the bloodstream. Um, that'll trigger the pancreas to release insulin and it'll guide, you know, sort of be like a tour guide. It'll guide, go, come on, guys, you know, come on, sugar, come into the cells. That's where you're needed for for energy production, whatnot. Um, okay, there's leftovers of you. All right, come on, shuttle this way, come to the liver. You're going to get sort of glycogen. It's all good. That's what um, insulin does. And then, you know, um, overnight, for example, you know, we fast. And so what will happen then is if we run out of just our circulating blood sugar um, and we need a bit more for energy production, for detoxification, whatever it is our body's doing overnight, um, then the pancreas will spit out glucagon instead and that will stimulate the breakdown of that stored glucose from the liver or the muscle cells, wherever, usually the liver though. Um, The muscles like to sort of keep their glucose just for like movement and exercise. Um, and that'll bring the blood, our blood sugar up so that we've got, you know, blood sugar, uh, we've got sugar in our blood circulating for energy. Um, so that's like a, this nice little seesaw balance. And again, provided you don't have a really high sugar diet, um, you know, that's going to just work nicely. Insulin's going to go up and then it will go down and you won't get all these spikes and peaks and troughs if you're eating carbohydrates from, you know, whole foods that have fiber that slow down the release of carbohydrate into the bloodstream anyway. Um, and I wanted to put that in there just to talk about, you know, insulin gets a really bad rap now because a lot of people, you know, are insulin resistant or they've got type 2 diabetes and we go, oh, you know, insulin or, you know, or they're, they're, they're overweight and we go, well, insulin is the fat storage hormone and insulin gets blamed for so much. But I think it's really important that, you know, we talk about it in a positive light and go, you know, it's actually a really important hormone. Um, we can't blame insulin for doing its job. Its job is to draw energy into the cells. And if we're not overdoing the carbohydrates and overdoing the sugars, we're only going to have, have as much that go in. Um, we're not going to have all this ex- extra glucose left over that goes to the liver. It's, most of it's going to get used up in daily activities. Um, insulin, the insulin response, you know, allows our immune cells to have access to en- the energy they need to keep working. You know, if we didn't have insulin, we our immune, this is just one example, our immune cells wouldn't have energy and we would be getting sick all the time. Um, the insulin response also helps to regenerate glutathione, which is a antioxidant that we produce to scavenge free radicals. So free radicals, not without getting too nerdy, um, are unpaired electrons. So most electrons like to be in pairs. Um, the ones that aren't in pairs will then start to try and break down our own tissue to try and find another pair. Um, and so glutathione will scavenge those or donate an, an electron so that these um, substances aren't damaging our own tissue. Um, that's what I'm going to say about that. This isn't a free radical episode either, but it's just important to know that insulin has a really important role in the body and it, sh- it doesn't deserve to be demonized. Um, for doing its job. If someone has insulin resistance or they're massively overweight, we can't blame insulin for that. We have to blame 
the high refined sugar di- and I'm not saying that all people that are overweight have highly refined sugar diets so that's not a judgment thing but it's quite common we can't blame insulin this beautiful hormone that our body naturally produces to keep us alive um, for something that a high sugar you know high refined carbohydrate diet did and I really want to drill that point home because I feel like insulin just gets bashed on now and it's actually a really important hormone that we need and it's really great it's just when we don't have great diets um you know our pancreas gets worn out it does it stops producing enough of it because it's just so exhausted or um our body becomes you know so used to having insulin present that it stops listening to it it's like when your mum goes you know you know well I was actually a bit of a neat freak as a child but say I'd been messy and mum had been like to me Rachel clean your room and I'm like, yeah, 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 mama, we will, we will, we will, we will. But like, you know, she said it all the time. So I just stopped listening really um, and, until she went, right, that's it, clean your room. And that's like, oh, okay. And that's like an example of insulin. You know, the beta cells have, of the pancreas having to spit out heaps more insulin to get the same response. Um, but if that's, but if, you know, if you just cleaned the room the first time that your mom asked you to clean it, that's like a good example of, you know, the body just responding to insulin the way it should. So Anyway, I hope I haven't confused you too that much there. I just really want you to understand that insulin is there. It has a job to, go, to do. It's nothing to be scared of. We want it to be working. And as long as we've got a nice, healthy diet, we probably won't be becoming insulin resistant and we probably won't have excess carbohydrates. You know, we call it the fat storage hormone. But as, for as long as we've got other cells that are in need of energy, that it's insulin is not going to cause us to store fat. It's just going to shuttle the glucose into the cells for energy production. I just want to um, make that point because I think sometimes we go straight from, oh, there's an insulin spike and everything gets stored as fat. Well, that's not 100% true. It it only gets stored as fat when there's excess carbohydrates that we're not using. And the more active you are, the even less of a problem this will be. Um, and finally, let's talk about the appendix. So the, the appendix is a little bit like the gallbladder, not in terms of its function, um, well, I suppose a little bit, but what I'm, um, it's similar to the gallbladder in terms of it's another thing that, you know, we technically we don't need it to, su- to survive. It's ideal that we have one, but if we don't have it, you know, we're not going to die. It's not like having, um, you know, if, pancre- if you didn't have a pancreas, you would die. If you didn't have a liver, you would die. Um, your appendix, you can get away with, but and for ages, um, it was thought of as a redundant organ. In fact, you might go, yeah, the appendix doesn't do anything. It just sort of sits there. And what researchers have discovered in more recent times is that like the gallbladder stores bile, the appendix stores bacteria. So if you think about the fact that we've got billions or trillions of bacterial cells in our gut, most of them beneficial, most of them, you know, supporting the immune system, supporting our hormones, supporting our nervous system, supporting digestion, all that good stuff. Um, you know, it makes sense that we'd have a backup generator. So if we got a tummy bug or we had to take antibiotics or something like that, something that completely wiped out a massive colony of bacteria, the, that we've got this backup site and that's the appendix. So we've got all this good bacteria stored in there so that if, for whatever reason, our numbers are a bit low, they, you know, the bacteria in the appendix can migrate into the gut. So it's ideal to, to have one. If you don't have one, I guess it's just even more incentive to look after your gut and make sure that you're eating, you know, fermented foods or taking probiotics and, you know, you're not do really, you know, you're not, if you're old, I know this podcast for teenagers, if you're an older teenager and you drink alcohol, um, that you're not drinking too much, 
that you're not taking antibiotics unless it's absolutely 100% essential to your life, that any other medication you're taking, be it Panadol or Nurofen, again, you're only taking it because it is there is absolutely no alternative. You're in that much pain. You're not just taking it because you've got a slight headache. Um, the liver will also appreciate that because any medication you take, the liver has to, again, has to deal with, has to detoxify against. So, um, yeah, that's your appendix. It's your backup site. Um, it's great if you have one. If you don't, just know that it's probably a bit more important for you rather you know, it's good for all of us to look after our guts, but you in particular probably need a little bit more TLC for your beautiful gut. Um, and yeah, I think that is a good place to finish. Um, let's, you know, to, we've, there, we've already done so many other episodes on what's good for the gut, what's not good for the gut, yada, yada. Um, we've talked a little bit about that here anyway. I guess some take-homes is um, just some basic tips for gut health before I sign off. Um, you know, fiber-rich diet, plenty of fruits and vegetables, nuts, seeds, you know, good quality wheat-free whole grains. Um, so basically whole grains that haven't been sprayed with glyphosate are a good bet. Um, if you want to know more about that, go back to the episode with Cindy O'Meara. can't remember what number that is, but just go back through the um the iTunes feed and you'll find that if you want to know more about grains and glyphosate and which ones are better, which ones are potentially damaging. Um, yeah, so high fiber diet um, and plenty of water, those two things and, and exercise, those three things will really help with digestion and elimination and making sure that you're avoiding any sort of antibacterial substances from going down into the gut, any sort of antimicrobials um, to keep your gut bacteria intact um, that, you know, if you know that you're exposed to things like pesticides or antibiotics or you're just really stressed, um, any stress can impact the gut quite a bit, just, um, you know, maybe taking a probiotic or eating fermented foods, something like that, just to give yourself a bit of protection um, because our good bacteria protects the integrity of the intestinal lining. Um, what else? Yeah, so keeping stress low. Um they're the main things really. Like if you keep your chemical exposure low and don't take any medications that aren't hundred percent necessarily for your survival or optimal health, um, you're eating really good quality foods, you're drinking plenty of water, you're exercising, you're getting enough sleep, you're happy. All those things in general are good for the gut. Um, you know, it's really not too complicated. It's just that a lot of the time we don't have the best diets, we don't drink enough water, we don't do enough exercise, we are really quite stressed, we're not as happy as we'd like to be and therefore we're on medications that aren't ideal and so we've pretty much knocked out every single factor I just talked about. Um, you know, the gut is very resilient. As soon as you start to just eat a bit better, move a bit more, reduce your chemical exposure a bit, your gut generally will bounce back. Um, and of course, if you have weird, odd digestive symptoms that you're like, you know what, I don't poop every day, I am bloated all the time, I've got acid reflux, I have diarrhea chronically, or I'm always in pain in the tummy, whatever it is, take yourself off to see a holistic nutritionist or an open-minded dietitian, a naturopath, an integrative doctor, someone that can just you know give you a little bit more guidance, maybe um, you know take a full case history maybe get you on some targeted probiotics, maybe do some stool testing, maybe give you some certain supplements. They, they might find you've got some nutritional deficiencies. They can give you some more individualized guidance. But if your gut's pretty healthy, um, yeah, just 
make sure that you're doing those um, tips I just talked about and maybe re-listen to this episode a few times so that you can really start to appreciate because I did jump around the place a bit um, because that's the nature of the body. It's not all just straightforward. There are lots of little clauses and bits and pieces and tangents in the body. Um, Just, yeah, re-listening to it just so you can really appreciate the incredible system that is the digestive system and the accessory organs that go along with it because it really is quite incredible. And the more you listen to that and go, whoa, there's a lot going on every time I eat. Whoa, this is actually so important. Whoa, this plays such a huge role in the rest of my health from everything. You know, your toenails rely on your gut because without the right nutrients, your toenails wouldn't have the right cells to repair themselves and after they get broken down and, you know, you wouldn't have good immunity, so you might get a tinea infection, you know. Even so, something as basic as your feet, which is so far away from your gut, still, like, um, respond to the state of your gut health. So I'm going to leave it there. It's great to be back with you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Get keen for the rest. If you haven't already, please uh, like my Facebook page, Real Soup for the Real Soul, on Facebook. Just search it. You know, if you haven't gone there in a while, maybe head on to my blog, have a bit of a read, have a play, find some recipes, print them out, have a cook up, whatever floats your boat. Um, Yeah, just, just stay in the community. I love engaging with you all. And yeah, welcome back to the podcast and happy re listening to this and educating yourself more about the wonderful gut. Do love the gut. Thank you for being here while I talked about poo and bacteria and all those good things. I'm going to shut up now and leave you to get on with the rest of your beautiful day. Hopefully there's some sunshine outside and I'll catch you in a fortnight. Bye. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.